Welcome to the Monroe Live Podcast. I'm the producer, Eric. On today's episode, Corey talks all things Tesla with Farzad, from his time working at Tesla to their current EV dominance. They even speculate on Tesla's future. This episode of the Monroe Live Podcast is brought to you by T-Raps and their wide range of automotive accessories, but more on them later. Now, here's Corey. All right, welcome to the Monroe Live Podcast. Today, we have a special guest, Farzad, and you are an amazing creator in the Tesla space, but more than the Tesla space, the EV space. Um, recently, Elon Musk just started following you. We are just talking about that. It's got to be pretty wild. I think you have, what, 75,000, 76,000 followers on Twitter, and your channel is yeah, really growing. Right. Yeah, but I want to get into your history. So you are at Tesla for a while, and then you transitioned into this creator space. You now live in Austin. You have an amazing producer. And uh, I'd like to maybe start off there and let me know a little bit more about you. Sure, man. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Monroe uh, Live is something I've been following for years, man, ever since you guys started putting out content with Sandy tearing down the Model 3. It's just been an awesome resource. And really thank you and to the entire Monroe team for all the work that you guys do. It's a, it's a really, truly an honor to be part of the sort of Monroe Live podcast. And it's very, very cool to, to be on. It's a uh, I was telling you before, I'm having imposter syndrome because I'm like, what? <laughs> like, why am I here? You're the one who comes on my channel. So it truly is an honor. I'm very, very flattered. Thank you so much, Corey. Yeah. I really respect you and the team, yeah, no truly. Um, for me, yeah, it's um, a little bit about, about me. So I started sort of my, my career in business intelligence uh, and analytics back uh, 10, 11, 12 years ago, however long that was after I graduated college. And uh, joining Tesla was sort of a, an accidental thing that happened back in 2017, where I was, a, uh, I was an executive at a, a distribution company called Philips Pefferin Supplies. And I was uh, you know, being mentored, just so lucky to have the mentorship that I did at that company with Blaine and Cheryl and Jess and Brian and all those, all those guys, just incredible mentorship, Declan. Uh, they, they taught me so much and uh, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that experience there. But uh, there was a transitional period at, a at the time for the company for Philips, where they were looking to move their headquarters down to um, to North Carolina, Charlotte. And then uh, my wife and I were like, okay, do we want to move down to North Carolina or should we look around and see you know, what kind of opportunities are there locally here in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where I used to live? And uh, I had been a Tesla investor for about five years at that time, owned the Model S, was super passionate about the company. And um, just by happenstance, there was a, there was an opening for a, uh, for a position at their local distribution facility they opened about a month prior or like two months prior or something and i was like okay this is probably a typo <laughs> they probably meant to put this somewhere else there's no way little beth bethlehem pennsylvania is gonna you know have a have a tesla facility that's crazy but it turned out to be true i i, I uh, sort of gave them uh, my resume and um they they were like yeah you sound like a good fit come on board or you know come on for a discussion with the leadership team at at the distribution company i went there i met the leadership group there it was just we hit it off right away and then four and a half years later i mean the rest is history I, it was just an incredible time there i learned so much uh, i still have a lot of friends that, that i've met through that experience at tesla uh, it really taught me so many lessons around 
just trying your absolute best uh, in, in situations that seem impossible, to really trust your teammates, to surround yourself with the smartest people that you can, to never give up. Just so I can go on and on and on with the things that I learned at that company. And then uh, after I after I you know left the the company. You know, with with financial security and time and and sort of like a lot of fulfillment, I felt like the universe sort of aligned perfectly for me to go into the next uh, chapter of my life. I stumbled on this YouTube thing just out of like just fun. Like I worked at Tesla. I've been an investor for a long time. Uh, I figure people probably value my my takes on some of the things around the company. And lo and behold, a year and a half later, this is like something. It's like a, it's a job, but it's not really a job. It's something that I just do every day, and it's turned into something that is incredibly fulfilling. And I feel so lucky and grateful to be uh, able to do it. And it's unbelievable. I'm just riding a wave that the universe is sort of uh, putting me on. And now I'm on Monroe Live podcast. <laughs> it's like what the hell? So yeah, man, that's that's a little bit about me. Yeah, and so describe your move to Austin. So Austin is now like the epicenter of Tesla events between. The investor day that just happened, there's the shareholder meeting coming up. The year before, there was a cyber rodeo. Um, now, when I go to Austin, I look forward to meeting you, meeting up with you and a bunch of other people. So how has that move been? And what does it feel like being at that epicenter? It, it feels special. It feels really special. I We ended up here in 2020 during the, during the COVID pandemic. It was uh, sort of in tandem with the Gigafactory opening. I had been at, at Tesla uh, at that time. Uh, I was in, still living in Beth Bethlehem at the time. But one of the things I wanted to do was move a little bit closer to the manufacturing process. I felt like the sort of the supply chain, uh, the distribution business was becoming heavily reliant on the manufacturing side quite a bit because we, you know, Tesla internalizes so much of their components that it, I was like, okay, so it kind of makes sense to sort of get somebody from the distribution side to be closer to the factory so that we can have a better relationship with each other to streamline our processes. And it just made sense for me to kind of start going that direction. And, uh, it was it was the first or second quarterly earnings call. I think it was the first one. Uh, Elon announced that they were opening that factory in Austin, and I went to my boss, and I'm like, "Dude, uh, would you be open if I relocate to Austin? You know, whenever, even before the company, uh, before the factory opens, or while the the factory is opening, to sort of start transitioning into more uh, sort of hybrid role between distribution and and manufacturing to sort of help." move that stuff along. He's like, yeah, sure. You know, we'll go, we'll sort of go with the process and, and see what happens. And then my wife and I took a trip down to Austin in, what was it? August of 2020 with the intention of just uh, finding the, the just you know, different things that the city offered, the vibe, if it was a good fit for us. And then we landed there on a Friday or it was a Thursday. And then that Sunday, we put in an offer for a house. <laughs> and, and I called my boss on Monday and I'm like, hey, uh, remember how we were talking about, you know, this being sort of a long term transition? Yeah, I kind of put an offer in a house. So can I do this way faster? And he's like, holy shit. OK, I guess. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in Austin. And uh, yeah, it, it's I had a feeling that it was going to become some sort of epicenter, sort of like a they call it like the Mecca for Tesla, right? Austin, Texas, you know, just the how much land Tesla purchased here. I think it's like 2,300 acres or 27, some, some ridiculous amount of land. 
it was going to be their largest facility in the world with a gigafactory, Texas. We knew that uh, Elon was moving a lot of their, his operations from California to Texas. Austin is a booming city, uh, one of the fastest growing cities in the United States, has a really cool vibe. A lot of tech companies are coming here. They also have a lot of land. And so it's a great spot for suppliers and tier one, twos and threes to set up shop here. Super business friendly. So it just made a lot of sense. So that kind of like, you know, got us, got our ball rolling to move down here. And like you said, just so many events are here now that are related to Tesla, uh, Gigafact, you know, the, the Texas opening, the Cyber Rodeo, the shareholder meeting, the investor day. Seems like every major event is here. And again, just kind of lucky that that kind of played out. But at the same time, it does seem like Tesla is moving a lot of its sort of large scale events and things out here in Texas. And I'm just I'm lucky to be here and I'm very excited to see how it grows over time. I think it has a lot of potential. Yeah. And. Beyond just Tesla, you follow other manufacturers very closely as well. You were just tweeting extensively about the quarter one results for Ford. Um, yeah. So the transition to electrification is is and will be a long journey. And some people are predicting 2030, the crossover point 2028, 2035. There's a lot of regulation where you're no longer going to be able to buy an internal combustion engine vehicle in, I think, five or six states in the United States. So can you give me your opinion, your general opinion on where we're at in this transition? Will it accelerate? And how? what are the economic uh, headwinds for some of these OEMs based on Ford's quarter one results for Model E? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it's funny you ask that question because I actually rely on Monroe quite a bit to get a really good understanding of how sort of the challenges are from an engineering and manufacturing perspective for these OEMs. You guys do such a great job uh, bringing that to light for 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 the public uh, through your videos and your expertise. I think sort of my opinion is that I think there are certain OEMs and legacy automakers that are uh, are more ahead of the game than others. I think folks, folks like Ford, the Hyundai Group with Hyundai and Kia, uh, maybe even Volkswagen with their ID4 and sort of, sort of the amount of EVs they're selling globally. You know, these are some of the automakers that, that stand out to me that are that seem to be a little bit further ahead of the game versus everybody else, like a Ram, for example, or a Jeep Chrysler. That's very, you know, they're. I don't think they're making EVs at all. They have some in the pipeline to 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 produce in 2024, but they're not really making any. GM just discontinued its more afford, most affordable model in the Bolt. And if you sort of strip that out of their 2023 sales, they've only really sold 1,000 EVs in the first quarter between the, what is it, the Lyric and the Hummer EV. And so there is a, uh, there, there is a transitional phase that the legacy automakers are going to have to go through that is very reminiscent of a book called The Innovator's Dilemma, which is sort of this uh, story arc that says folks that are, or companies that are well entrenched in, an, in a technology that has been around for a long time are going to be, are gonna have a very difficult time transitioning to a new technology if a disruptor comes to play that is able to outmaneuver them from a from the perspective of technology and scale and how quickly they can move. And so, you know, the, the whole thing is going to be how can traditional OEMs sort of wind down their gas car business uh, as the EV transition takes hold while ramping up a EV business that's going to be unprof unprofitable for years to come. And we saw this in Ford's quarter one earnings for 2023. 
ever since they broke out their electric vehicle segment, their pro segment, which is the commercial, and the blue segment, which is the gas car business. Uh, this is something Ford did uh, that was super brave, and, and Jim Farley deserve, deserves a ton of credit, and the leadership team deserves a lot of credit to sort of lead that effort. But we see firsthand, you know, first quarter of 2023, Ford's EV margins were negative 102%, and they sold 12,000 units in the first quarter. Now, a lot of that was through planned shutdowns in the factory for Maki and some of the uh, diagnosing they had to do around the F-150 Lightning battery fire that they had in their plant, which was the right thing to do. But it really highlights just, you know, just because an automaker has been making gas cars forever doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have an easier path to growing their EV business in relation to a newcomer, like, say, a Tesla, who sort of had to endure 10 plus years from inception of a grueling scaling process to be able to offer mass market affordable EVs at a profit. And if you sort of put their progress side by side with a Ford or a GM or any other player, it seems like these companies might be maybe five to 10 years behind where Tesla is, you know, on sort of that path. Maybe some even they're not haven't even started yet. And so the question becomes with a dealership network that doesn't really seem to like to sell EVs because they don't have as much maintenance and they're not really incentivized to sell something that won't make them money in the long term with maintenance. And uh, sort of the UAW, which is the United Auto Workers Union that just yesterday came out sort of not in favor of some of the EV incentives that the US government has put in place, which I think is just sort of a, a, a they're haggling a little bit for the renegotiation stuff that's going to happen this year. But you can kind of see there's blockades. The legacy automakers have to navigate that complicated uh, sort of variable of the UAW and the dealership network, in addition to ramp up an EV segment that's going to be very difficult and requires a lot of innovation and pace. And so, you know, I think I think there's a real there's a real concern. And I think Sandy and you have have painted sort of, you know, what what could happen if legacy automakers don't jump on this EV wagon as quickly as possible and as profitably profitably as possible, that a lot of them could be in really big trouble. And um, I think we're starting to see some of the beginning stuff starting to happen, you know, at least in that journey with an example like Ford and their Model E business. But, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to be seen. There's a lot to be seen. I think one thing is for sure is that the EV adoption is accelerating and uh, automakers will need to jump on that on that train. They, they have no other choice. They literally have no other choice because if they don't, that basically means a shrinking business that will be a fraction of what they used to be. And in a worst case scenario, they won't exist. And I don't think any of us want that. Yeah, when we talked uh, a while back, I think it was on your podcast, I mentioned how Apple <clears throat> Apple phones, so the iPhone, the introduction of the iPhone rocked the cell phone world and essentially put Nokia and Motorola nearly out of business because they got rid of all the buttons. It was a complete change in, in how a phone was used by a human being. And really, that's what everybody has today. It's, it's quite incredible. I think culture the culture and the passionate fan base i wouldn't even call it fan base the passionate following of tesla as a brand is incredible and and if if another oem made a vehicle with the exact same stats as a model y same size same shape same storage same range same everything but it was a it was a a chevy let's just say it's a chevrolet 
model 3.5. I don't know, something. It's literally identical. Would it outsell a Model Y? I don't think so because it's you don't have that that the way that you buy the vehicle online. They would still use their dealership network. They'd still it, I feel like it's beyond the product itself and it's the culture surrounding the brand and what's built up behind Tesla. So what's your thought on on that fervent following of Tesla as a brand and and how that's kind of blasting through into the future? I think that's a great point. It's a great point that's sort of underestimated by folks that might be viewing the the Tesla dynamic and the EV transition sort of at a surface level. There is definitely something to be said there. I think Tesla benefits tremendously from having somebody like an Elon Musk at the helm that is is very good at creating passion and excitement about technological feats and about the future. It, very Steve Jobs in a way. It, it's sort of a, a visionary leader that just just makes a lot of people excited. You know, I think I think that's even even with his quirks and his sort of weaknesses from a public speaking perspective, the dude just makes you excited to think about the future. And he does a really good job. He needs to be commended for that for sure. Um but I, I do think there's something about the the Tesla brand itself that uh does inspire people to want to support the company more than, uh, say, like a GM or a Ford customer would. I think there is definitely something to be said for your lifelong uh, F-150 buyers or your Silverado buyers. You know, like we all know the acronyms that people have come up with for, you know, Ford fix or repair daily. And like, you know, Chevy's have another one or something. Uh, And I'm not speaking about the the reliability. I just know that's sort of the culture that lives there. But, But the Tesla story has this long-term vision of transitioning the, the world towards a sustainable future with uh, with what seems like a leader in Elon Musk that really cares about that mission himself and is sort of leading that from the from the front. I think the the fact that there's so much coverage about his work ethic and his passion really helps strengthen the brand and I th- and it's really proved by the fact that uh, the car like the, like the Tesla Model Y in the United States for the first quarter of 2023 it was the best selling non pickup truck period in the United States with zero advertising it sold something like uh 85,000 units i forget in the US in the first quarter and the RAV4 sold maybe a thousand less but just think about that dynamic for a second you have a car that doesn't av- or a company that doesn't advertise in the United States selling a, a car that averages around $50,000 per car that's an electric vehicle only from a from Tesla and tied to this Elon Musk character outselling the Toyota RAV4 that has a reputation for being extremely affordable and reliable and safe so and that speaks to that to that support that speaks to that support and they will continue i think that support will continue to pull uh Tesla uh, through the rest of the decade as they release their Cybertruck and their compact car. And it's something that no other company has. You know, Other companies, in my opinion, would have to make up that very passionate fan base by offering ridiculously good products that hopefully they can m- make money on. But that's a tall order. And, and you know, it's we'll see if other companies can get there, uh, especially legacy automakers. Um, but it's it's going to be hard, man. <laughs> it's going to be hard. You don't get you don't get to almost two million cars per year uh, at the current rate in 2023 with zero advertising. With you know with your average selling prices being around forty five to fifty thousand dollars, 
without something special. And I think Tesla has that it, that it factor that no other car maker has. This episode of the Monroe Live podcast is brought to you by T-Raps. Hey, Sandy, did you know that T-Raps is a family-owned business just like Monroe and Associates? They're EV owners and enthusiasts turned entrepreneurs. That's right, Corey. Uh, these people know EVs, so they take the time to create products that fit precisely into your vehicle. We got products from T-Raps here at Monroe for the F-150 Lightning and our Model 3. I got to say, these things are really high quality. Yep, that's true, Sandy. T-Raps makes everything from protective films to organizing trays, and everything fits perfectly to your EV, whether you've got a Tesla, a Rivian, or a Ford. Plus, T-Raps uses the highest quality materials in the industry, and they're all designed and produced right here in the USA. You said it, Corey. And T-Raps has video showcasing the quick and easy installation of each product, so DIY car upgrades have never been easier. Visit TRAPS.com to browse their collection of EV protectors and accessories. That's T-W-R-A-P-S.com and use discount code Monroe for 10% off your order. Yeah, and I was looking at a chart looking at how much profit Tesla made last year. I, I believe it was a 12 or $13 billion in profit on $75 billion of revenue. And you have Toyota and VW, which are about a quarter of a trillion dollars in revenue, but much smaller percentage of profit. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible to think that that's going to grow again, where there'll probably be over a hundred billion dollars in revenue this year. I don't know the math, 2 million. Yeah. Yeah. 2 million vehicles. Yeah, close. Yeah. And if they, if they keep their profit margin above 13, 14, 15%, cause they were at 16% last year, that's a tremendous amount of profit. Now you're making almost as much profit in total dollars as some of these big behemoths because they're so profitable. And it's quite incredible to think that in 2018 um, and 19, they were really struggling to ramp up any meaningful production on the Model 3 alone, and now they have the 3 and the Y. Um, so what's your thoughts on Project Highland, the reintroduction of the Model 3, and you know how do you think that'll you know spike the sales of the Model Three? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, Highland is an interesting one because it's it's something that's been rumored to be in the works for quite a while now. Um, coincidentally, Tesla just unveiled the uh, or re-released rather the Model Three Long Range uh, in in the states, which is something that they paused on in August of last year in 2022, citing sort of uh, not enough cells <laughs> to build the car. And, and now as they're sort of alleviating that supply constraint, they've reintroduced, reintroduced that model, but it doesn't appear to be the Highland. I think the Highland, you know, and I would love to hear your take on this. And I think we talked about it briefly too, when you came on my channel. Well, I, I think it's geared towards reducing the cost of the Model 3 as much as humanly possible so that they can create better uh, differentiation between it and the Model Y and the compact car that's been rumored to be released somewhere in the next, say, uh, 12 to 24 months. I think Tesla needs to take those steps. You also have to remember that the Model 3 is based on the, uh, on the sort of manufacturing process, primarily based on the 2016-2017 uh, line that they built out of Fremont, which 
Monroe, you know, when you guys tore it down, Sandy correctly called kind of a piece of crap. <laughs> but then once you got into the internals, you were like, holy crap, here's where the game changing nature is. But a lot of those inefficiencies are still going to exist in that process until they have some, they do some sort of major overhaul of how they're building it. So I think Highland is going to be primarily focused on that, which could, you know, could mean that Model 3 prices will come down maybe on the order of, uh, you say, somewhere between one to $3,000, the costs, which I think will create better differentiation between the Model Y and the Model 3 and could sp spur uh, some additional demand. In addition to a revised front, you know, they'll, they'll do sort of like the, the nips and tucks on the body. I mean, last time the Model 3, uh, Model 3 looks exactly the same that, than it did seven years ago. So it's, it's definitely due for some sort of tweak. Uh, maybe they'll refresh some of the trim internally. But that's how I'm thinking about Highland. Do you have any do you have any opinions from your end for that specific model? Um, so with Highland, from I mean, I saw those leaked images where it showed like the new headlights and whatnot. So they should do a, a refresh on the exterior looks and whatnot so that it's differentiated from the Model Y on a looks perspective. Then I believe the Model Y will trail behind about two years to refresh their look because it came out two, two and a half years after the Model 3. <clears throat> and... I believe their next generation driveline, which I, I, I'm fairly certain I saw being installed at Giga Berlin, that'll pull significant cost out if they're able to go with hairpin motors and then that uh, redesigned um, inverter in the drive unit. If they transition to using some Giga castings in the Model 3s, that will help them with their ability to manufacture it quickly. Um, when Sandy and I, well, when Sandy interviewed Elon in Texas, he asked him that. He said, hey, you know, are you going to put some giga castings in the Model 3? He essentially said no, um, not in the near future, but he never ruled it out completely. So I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, to further differentiate the Model 3 from the Model Y, but most large uh, OEMs have moved away from sedans. So you still have the Corolla and the Accord, you know, with Honda and Toyota, and I think Kia makes a small sedan as well. But the, a lot of the American OEMs, they got rid of all their small cars. They went to SUVs. Mm -hmm. And I've talked about this. Other factors that are not even associated with being electric have driven up the cost of cars. Not the price, the cost. Primarily the safety standards. The amount of ultra-high strength steel needed to pass some of these tests, like small overlap rigid barrier test, roof crush test, the FMVS-226 ejection mitigation test requires airbags that deploy below the belt line. So when you drive a brand new vehicle, there's thousands and thousands of dollars of added uh, high-strength steel and airbags and all these other safety features that really weren't even in cars in the early, early 2000s, late 90s, early 90s. And people will pay more for an SUV even though it's only very incrementally more expensive than a car. So a Model 3 versus a Model Y, it doesn't have that much more steel. It's a very tiny amount more cost. The batteries are the same. The motors are the same. The seats are the same. A lot of the, in, in, the instrument panels are the same. The height and the width, and it just grows a little bit. But people will pay more for an SUV. So seeing... You know, traditional OEMs abandon their small cars because it's it's a huge amount of effort to design them. It's a huge amount of engineering, and then you can you have to do all this work, and then you go sell it at a tiny profit margin. When you can sell a truck for a profit margin that could be ten or twenty times more than that, so 
right. from a business perspective, selling cars is not what you want to do. Selling small cars is not what you want to do if you want to make money. So with Tesla launching the Cybertruck, I think that's going to be really good for their profitability. And the super compact car will only be good if they can receive, if they can reach that tremendous scale, which allows them to get the cost as low as possible. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. If you make a small car and people aren't buying it, you bet you should probably just stop. So I think Tesla will have the demand for their whatever they call their little compact car, whether it's a Model 2 or mm-hmm. something. And um, it'll be interesting to see this transition and over the next, I don't think 12 to 24 months, I don't think we'll see a compact car from Tesla. They, they seem to, okay. what is it, under-promise and over-deliver, over-deliver and up, they, they under-deliver. O- over-promise and under-deliver. <laughs> They, they do literally the opposite. <laughs> over, they, they promise and don't deliver. And, and the Cybertruck's been delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. Yeah, deliver Mom, late. Deliver yeah. late. <laughs> yeah, they're late. So I don't think I'll see a compact car, a compact Tesla in this building for a teardown until 2026 at the earliest. Okay. That's my opinion. Okay. And and I hope we get a Cybertruck this year, probably be next year. So what's yeah. your what's your thoughts on Tesla and their delays and their development and 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 frankly I, I think that the large OEMs are so delayed like GM barely making anything that's actually buying Tesla even more time. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I um I one of the key criticisms of Tesla, which I think is valid, is that they. Uh, they set these timelines that they rarely hit, and Elon Musk himself has been very open about uh, how that's kind of his thing. You know, he's over optimistic by nature. He sets overly ambitious uh, deadlines, and uh, more often than not, they miss them. I mean, the the best example of that is full self driving. Uh, they've been promising a full self driving sort of complete uh, uh, offering for uh, a while, a few number of years. And it's still, it's, I mean, it's damn close, but it's still not there. However, I do think, I do think that we as a society tend to, uh, over punish ambition. And I think that is, uh, best seen in the case of Tesla, where anytime they miss a deadline, it's viewed as a failure. But if you really look at their track record, um, the things that they've, failed on were just things that were late you know the model s was uh behind schedule by i think one or two years uh, based on the public guidelines that uh that elon was giving and it became true and it proved that a, a company could be profitable the model x ramp was delayed by like a year the model 3 ramp was delayed by like a year and a half uh, the Model Y was six months early. <laughs> so that was a weird sort of thing that happened. Uh, Tesla FSD has been late forever. Uh, but these core huge things that Tesla sets out that are overambitious and they are laid on do come true. And and the biggest one of those was uh, reaching the half a million goal per year by 2020, which was deemed completely ridiculous back in 2013, 2014, when they were sort of laying out their plans for Giga Nevada, the Gigafactory in uh, in Nevada that makes the batteries today, uh, but it, but it came true. So I view it as as just that's just the culture of the company to try and push progress as as quickly as humanly possible. And they're not really, you know, having worked there, I know this personally. I don't think folks there are really too concerned about what how they're viewed 
by missing deadlines or being late to things because they know that once it, it is achieved, they're really the only ones that can offer that combination of feature set and cost and experience that even if they're late, it is what it is, you know, maybe, maybe they needed that over ambitious timeline to be able to even be able to achieve the goal in the first place. And that's sort of that culture that Elon Musk brings to that company. So I think, I think it's valid to be criticized for it, but I think sometimes they're punished for it. And that doesn't make sense to me. I think it's just, Hey, they missed. It's okay. But it, it comes true. Give it time. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> you know this yourself. It's hard to make cars, man. It's not. It's not easy. And I think highlighting that the OEMs are going through the same exact process. I mean, I, and I hate to pick on GM, but you know, they 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 for you know we have that very public interview with Mary Barra, sort of promising a lot of models more than Tesla by a certain year, more volume than Tesla by a certain year. And it's very obvious to see that that's not going to come to fruition. You don't see that level of scrutiny for uh, OEMs, but Tesla gets it all because they're the most talked about. It's probably the most talked about company in the world. So it, it, it just comes with the territory. But I, I yeah, I, I think it, criticism is valid, but on the stuff that matters, they deliver. And that's ultimately what's most important. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to get your opinion on the traditional media's view of Tesla because of mm. Elon's kind of polarizing nature right now, you know, with his Twitter stuff and, and he's considered kind of moderate to right now, even though he champions all this green, uh, all these green initiatives and whatnot. And We're right. this, this is, <laughs> this is my question for you. <clears throat> Why isn't the traditional media covering the fact that the Tesla Model Y, y it, I, is the top-selling vehicle in Europe? I think of everything. Yeah. And I, I think even in China, I, I saw they sold like a huge amount in the first quarter. And now you're telling me it, was, it outsold the RAV4 in the U.S. And we have an American plant, an American company with a huge plant in China and in Germany that people are dying to work at. And it's like crickets. You, if this was Ford or GM, you know, if Ford built a plant in Germany and was manufacturing, you know, hundreds of thousands of vehicles delivering to Europe and was the top vehicle in Europe, we'd be like celebrating American pride and power. Oh, my gosh, look, an American car is outselling VW in, in Europe and nothing. You just you just don't hear it. What's your thought on that? That's a that's that's such an excellent question, Corey. If that happened with Ford, that would put Jim Farley on a pedestal, and he'd be in every commercial on TV for the next five years, right? And he would deserve it because he's like, yeah, you're right. You you did an incredible thing for for America. So here's what I've learned as a, a YouTuber. Let's call it. I, I I finally accepted that sort of title. I'm a YouTuber now. But but one of the one of the things that has really opened my eyes is. In reality, what I am is sort of like an independent media company. And as an independent media company, I'm getting a really good idea on what the incentive structure is for mainstream media. Everything that mainstream media does is anchored around their ability to generate revenue through advertising. And who are the uh, one of the who, who which car companies are the ones that advertise with mainstream media? Everybody except for Tesla. And so uh, mainstream media is incentivized to cover uh, the legacy automakers as positively as humanly possible so they don't lose out on advertising revenue. It's not their fault. 
that's what that's that's the system that they play in and over time that's become really clear to me that that's the reason why tesla doesn't seem to get the same level of positive coverage as oems and they get outsized negative coverage in respects to oems and we'll use like recalls as an example as well anytime tesla offers a uh, or, or has to give a uh, over the air update tied to a recall it makes national headlines but god forbid stellantis or gm has to recall 50,000 trucks due to a fire and it's like just some random article that just gets passed on through the media doesn't catch fire uh literally i guess <laughs> uh so so that's one thing and then the other thing too is that i think tesla has captured the imagination of the general public in some sense and uh it's just more profitable for mainstream media to run uh, articles on tesla that will I, I don't know that will sort of capture sort of bring that revenue forward that attention forward and we all know you know the line of you know what what bleeds leads right that's one of the things that one of the things that mainstream media is known for is that if something scary or negative or fearful or something that's salacious that will get you a thousand times more clicks than something that's positive and great so that that's that's the dynamic that mainstream media is playing in it's unfortunate you know it's it's really really unfortunate but the the one thing that's positive a positive trend is that i think the there there's an overall trend for people to uh really gravitate more towards independent uh media sources like myself monroe live so many other places where they can really get a much more balanced nuanced view into what's going on and that trend over time i think will become the dominant sort of force behind media and mainstream media as the old model dies out and we've kind of seen this happen and it's you know it sucks for those ma mainstream media companies but the, that's that's just the, the world that we live in now so I, I will put my my thumb on that i don't know if you have any thoughts on that but like that's that's where i'm coming from it seems it seems like that's the the most likely scenario as to why tesla gets sort of unfairly covered i would say you know that's a really great take and another aspect to that is I feel like oftentimes you and I, we may be criticized that we're biased towards Tesla. And, and at Monroe, we try and be as factual as possible. And we're literally standing there with the pieces and parts of a torn down Tesla. Right. We take the batteries apart. We, we measure everything. We weigh everything. We cost everything. Sandy and I and, and our team of engineers are armed with tens of thousands of pieces of data. And still, they're like, oh, you're just Tesla homers or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a second, you know, and um, Sandy and I, we're, we're going to film a video very shortly on the Hummer. I posted on Twitter a picture of the Park Paul target ring from the Hummer. It's this huge piece. And, and Teslas don't have this parking mechanism. It's a vestigial uh, automatic transmission park locking ring that, that came from vehicles with automatic transmissions. So when traditional OEMs made EVs, they took this thing from the automatic transmission and put it to put it in park because they had all the systems set up for it. But it's like 40 bucks per car and Tesla's just used the electric park brake. I posted a picture of that and it got like 300,000 impressions on Twitter, just wetting the appetite to see the comparing GM versus Tesla. Mm. But I'm already, you know, in the comments, it's like, oh, well, safety this, and they have to do it in requirements. People like come into the defense of GM. And so I'm just, I have the parts, I have the facts, 
Let's talk yeah. about it. And uh, so I think we get those comments often. And so I try and be introspective to make myself look for the good in other OEMs. And I do. We had the Lucid Motor in, and it's really great. The Lucid Motor has a yeah. ton of really clever uh, engineering in it. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I think it's it's incredibly power dense. And, and if it was in Tesla vehicles, I think it'd be even better than, than Tesla's, you know, but that's in a $160,000, you know, lucid air. So it, yeah. the powertrain kind of matches that price range. So I try and make sure I look for the good and all the other, all the other cars that we see, but sometimes it's hard to ignore the overwhelming advantage that Tesla has. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's such a brilliant point you make. I think, uh, facts and truth are not biased <laughs> you know and and um this is coming from i would consider myself a biased person who's trying his best to not be biased truly i i and and i, I would i would say monroe you uh sandy are the gold standard of people who call stuff for what it is and i aspire to be that every single day i know there are natural biases that i have as a person but I, I try to fight those in the same way that you do every single day. However, facts and truth is not a bias. And so if there is data that backs up a claim behind a certain company doing better than the other ones, then people can say all they want. Like, I mean, they can say, oh, you're so biased. This is crazy. You're shilling for a certain company, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, you, you have every right to have that opinion. But the facts speak differently. The facts say something else. You know, and it's it's just a, that's just the internet. <laughs> Unfortunately, the internet sometimes lacks nuance, and um, and a story as game changing as Tesla and sort of this EV transition and what's happening in the auto market, uh, a lot of that gets lost because what's the overwhelming advantage? I can see why some people would think it's like just uh, out outright bias, but maybe it's just that overwhelming, and it's just it's a very peculiar time in history, and that should be recognized. You know, yeah. So I have a question about 2030. So a lot of people are predicting uh, a transition. 50% EVs will be sold in 2030, 50% ICE. And I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about what will be the volume that Tesla will be selling by 2030. I believe they've stated Ooh. a goal of, of what? 20 million? 20 million. Do you think now, looking at Elon's goals... Maybe he truly wants to be at 9 million, 13 million, 15 million. And if he sets the goal at 20 and misses, he'll be leading the world in, in volume. I think it'll be more than Toyota. I think Toyota is like 10 million or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you think, do you the, think it'll be a, a, yeah. a high goal and miss and still be great? Kind of like the timing for some of his stuff. What do you think? So I'm, I'm, I'm on the camp, and I think this is sort of a small camp, but I really think 20 million by 2030 is legitimate. And, and the reason why is sort of I draw the parallel to what happened with the 500,000 units by 2020 that they laid out in 2014 that people thought was absolutely bananas. This was around the time they were making somewhere between 200 to 50,000 cars a year. And people are like, there's no way. That means a freaking 50% KGAR growth for the next six, seven years. No one else has ever done that. Lo and behold, they hit it. And that was completely mind-blowing. So when it comes to large-scale uh, manufacturing goals, it seems like Tesla has a track record to hit those goals. To, to hit those goals. 
Tesla is going to be selling into a fleet of cars that's about 1.4 billion cars large, where where 97% of those are, are gas cars. And within that context, 20 million EVs sold to replace 1.4 billion gas cars is quite small still. So they have the TAM, the total addressable market to grow into. I think the compact car will be the biggest variable for them to get there, the sort of cheaper car. Um, and, and if we think about how Tesla is going to be building that car, it's going to be about, what, 50% the size and the cost of the Model 3, Model Y-ish. And the footprint of the factory is going to be able to allow them to create two times more cars than uh, the existing 3Y. So that's that's a 4X factor, right? Ish. So they'll be able to do four times the amount of cars out of one factory with a compact car versus a Model 3 and a Y, which means that you need one-fourth of the factories to create the same number of compact cars versus the Model 3 and a Model Y. And it's, if you put that uh, in, so in the, for the next few years, if you say, okay, how many more factories does Tesla need to, need to build to get to, say, 20 million capacity with those numbers in mind? That's five or six more factories. That's one factory a year. That they have to announce and build, and they're on that. They're on that cadence. They announced Giga Mexico, which is supposed to break around here in the next uh, month or two, and then uh, as long as they announce at least one more factory per year, uh, why wouldn't they hit it? Right. It, it just becomes a, a question of price. Are people going to be willing to pay whatever price uh, Tesla demands for that car? But they've made it very clear that their goal is to advance. Uh, sustainable EVs as much as humanly possible. So they're going to lead that effort quite strongly. Uh, so I think I think they'll get there. Worst case scenario, they'll reach 15 million, even 13 million, or even 10 million in 2030. But they'll hit 20 million not not long thereafter because they're still going to be on an exponential growth curve as they build out these factories for these compact cars. So that's how I think about it. You tell me if I'm bananas. Do you think I'm bananas, Corey? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say bananas. That makes sense to me. And it's just, you look at the macroeconomic scenario. So we have to avoid a long-term major recession. Sure. Any major wars. You know, there could be things that, what do they call a black swan event that we don't know of. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. if things stay rather stable, actually, I prefer we go into a recession and get out of it because we've been in limbo for a while just so we can yep. get moving past that. Um, so barring any of that, I, I see 13 million, uh, 11 to 13 million on the low end. Like I'd be disappointed, but that would make sense to me. And the manufacturing ramp up for this small vehicle and the, the demand globally, that's kind of the wild card, but I think they're set up to, to win that battle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, how that car progresses and how that car ramps from, say, it producing the first car uh, until 2027 will give us a good idea if 20 million is actually legitimately uh, a, a target that Tesla is going to reach. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to hear your take. It's good to hear your take. I, I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, and do the math on 20 million. So 20 million vehicles, the average sale price will probably drop because the compact car will be cheaper. 
So I think that even though the compact car could sell for 25000 I think the average configuration will sell in the low 30s because people will probably buy higher-end features. Some would be FSD, all sorts of different paint colors and seats, you know, whatever. Then you'll introduce the Cybertruck, which will be more expensive. So I think the average sale price, the average uh, vehicle price, probably low 40s, mid 40s, low 40s. Mm -hmm. It'll come down, I believe. So do the math on that. Eric, you got a calculator? You're sitting over there. What's 20 million times, let's say, 45,000? Uh, what is that? Uh, a trillion dollars. Uh, 900 billion. I think it's 900 billion. So it's a lot of money. <laughs> I'm asking him to do the math. 45,000 times 2 million. 900 billion. Yeah, that's 900. Yeah. Almost a trillion dollars. Yeah. So that's a prediction I will make. I think Tesla will be the first trillion dollar revenue OEM. I'll say that. Yeah. Hey, are you including full self-driving revenue in that? Yeah, that's everything. Okay. Yeah, cuz okay. they're they're at what uh 75 billion, so they're at you know 0. 0.075 trillion. Not yep. even 0. 0.1 trillion. Look at that, we're talking in trillions yep. now. Yeah, <laughs> big numbers, big numbers. I really do think I think Tesla's sort of long term advantage, and I would love to get your take on this because I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I think uh, in the EV market, Tesla, maybe BYD, and a few others are really going to control what what we would call the affordable sort of down market segment, where they're going to be able to create really affordable cars for the population. And then the higher price brackets are going to be controlled by, say, your traditional B legacy automakers, you B know, at the higher price bracket. BMW, you know? yeah. Mercedes, exactly. Audi. Yeah. How do you think about that? Well, I think the the survivability of the premium brands is very easy. So whether that's a hypercar or a luxury car, that's a small percentage of the population that did will want to differentiate themselves from a brand for the masses. So Tesla is a premium car now, right? They're called a, they're they're like a luxury vehicle in most instances based on their price and their class and their size, especially the Model S and the X and even the Y at the high end. But if you introduce this compact car, it's more the Model T. You know, think about it. It's the it's the vehicle that everyone should and can be able to afford. And I think you'll see people in the premium market want to differentiate themselves buying, you know, other vehicles. Even if a Tesla is a better vehicle, they'll want to buy the BMW 7 Series or a Mercedes S550 or whatever the, the equivalent large vehicle is. So um, to answer your question, I think the luxury traditional players will be fine. But VW, Ford, and General Motors – they are essentially brands for the masses. Now, yes, Ford has Lincoln. GM has GMC, the Denali series, and they have Cadillac. Um, and, um, you know, those, so those higher-end brands can offer these, but they're typically variations off of the their core, uh, their core models. Like a lot of the Cadillacs are, some of the Cadillacs are derivatives of the lower-end models where they have, you know, a GMC or a Chevy off of the same platform. And um, so it'll be interesting, but I think the luxury end will be fine. But if you're the VWs of the world, 
and and you can't make a competitive product to compete with that low cost uh, Tesla, it it could mean major contraction for that company. Yeah, right. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Some of the verbiage out of Jim Farley at the uh, quarterly one, uh, the quarter one earnings report was sort of alluding to this, where you know they kind of talked about growth at all costs is not going to be part of the EV strategy for Ford, which kind of tells me that hey, so maybe. I mean, they're making negative 102% margin on their EVs, and I would understand why that wouldn't be. I mean, they're already losing money on the car. They can't afford really to win on price. They have to win on, on some other measure until they can get their scale up to be able to produce uh, EVs in a mass market manner. But how long is that going to take? And what are the demands from the public? Yeah. And is Ford going to be aligned to be able to do that, right? It's, com it's such a complex situation. It it's just feels so transitional in yeah. nature. Are you familiar with the Netflix Blockbuster story about how mm -mm. Blockbuster had a meeting with Netflix? I think Reed Hastings early on, and oh yeah, yeah. So Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix for some small yeah. amount. I think it was two million or twenty million, something like that. And they essentially laughed. They they like laughed them out of the out of the room. And now Netflix is a behemoth. And Blockbuster is gone. I said, so will there be, has that Blockbuster moment already happened? You know, so back when Tesla was tiny, the large OEMs just dismissed them. Nah, not a player, irrelevant, don't care, not a player, irrelevant, too small, blah, you know. And now it's to the point where it's reached that Netflix momentum. And it's like, do you think Tesla, so my question for you, do you think Tesla will reach the point where they could actually buy a small OEM, uh, buy a traditional OEM, you know, or, or, <laughs> or, you know, to take over that? Yeah, I think I think they'll they'll definitely get to that point. Them wanting to do it is a completely different question, because then that means taking on all those assets, right, that are kind of obsolete. But yeah, I 100% think that's going to be the case. I mean, it's the innovator's dilemma. It's the innovator's dilemma to a T. It's it's Xerox, Nokia. Blockbuster, BlackBerry, you go down the list of all these giant players in, in the business corporate world that were disrupted out of existence. And um, I think for some automakers, the momentum is too, it, it, we're too far into the game for them to be able to reverse course. Um, you know, I, I, I can make my predictions on who those automakers are going to be, but I, I don't want to because I want I want to make sure that that, you know, I, I'm rooting for them to succeed. I, I want as many EV makers as humanly possible. But if you're not if you don't have the right uh, chips in place, if you're not making the right bets now, it's going to be too late. It, it, it we're too far down the path for for these guys to decide to get into the game so if and sandy talks about this often you know and this is tansy sandy's one of the ones that really has explained this phenomena beautifully is if if you're starting now you're too late you're too late uh if and if you're not far ahead enough in the game today where you can at least rival tesla in the mid segment in some way with meaningful volume you're probably too late as well but you could still uh, make some headway by taking some large bets and hoping that you have a product line that resonates with the consumer and offers the technology that the customer is going to demand in the in this decade, which is going to be heavily geared towards software and autonomy. 
So if you can't do that, then you might be in trouble as well. So yeah, we'll see, man. It's they'll they'll definitely be able to buy them, but I don't know if they they'll want to. <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's an exciting time to be to to be covering all of these transitions and all these companies. Yeah, sure. And I think the next probably decade will be wildly entertaining as we see the rise and the fall of of different companies and and uh, it's really exciting to be alive right now. All right, I think I got to wrap things up. Eric's looking at me holding a piece of paper. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, coming on the show, Farzad. It's it's great as always. You're also one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. So if you're out there listening or watching, follow Farzad on Twitter. Get him to a hundred thousand followers. I think you're at seventy six, yeah. seventy eight thousand. And your your handle is is you say your handle. It's at Farzad. Mesbahi, is it your just name? It's it's at Farziness, F-A-R-Z-Y-N-E-S-S, yeah, which is my gamer tag from when I was 10. Oh. I haven't changed it, man. I used to beat people's butts in Counter-Strike with that handle. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Awesome. Well, awesome, once, man. Once I appreciate again. you, man. Yep, thank you. Yeah. appreciate you as always as well. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Truly an honor. Love Monroe. Love you. Love, love Sandy. And yeah, uh, can't wait to speak to you next time, man. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you for listening to the Monroe Lab podcast. If you liked today's episode, be sure to rate and review us. Thank you to this week's host, Corey, and guest, Farsad. To our producer, Eric, that's me. Follow us on Twitter, Monroe Live underscore pod, and view episodes by subscribing to our channel, Monroe Live Podcast. Thanks, and see you next time.